What's up? Fresh is our turn, baby. Hey, Welcome to DFS MVP alongside TJ Hernandez. I'm holding Kushner, and it's episode number two. TJ, we got a monster show for our listeners today. But before we do that, what we just listened to? Yeah, played a little bit of uh, Big Timers, Still Fly from their 2002 album, Hood Rich. And I was a little depressed when I wrote down the 2002 because it just aged me a little bit. I was in high school when that came out. Oh, God forbid you were in high school in 2002. <laughs> Hood Rich. It's a long time ago. I got to tell you something. I mean, I like I like hip hop, and I'm I'm more into like '90s hip hop. I don't even yeah. know who Hidrich is. I, I can't. I have no idea. Is that even who sang that, it, or is it Big Timers? Who is it? Big Timers, Hidrich's album. That's where uh, that's where Lil Wayne rose up from. Oh, please, please crush me uh, on social <laughs> media for not knowing if it was Hoodrich, Big Timers, or Lil Wayne for that matter. I'm more of a Lil John fan. Just to let you know, up front, okay. Lil John's my guy. I can deal okay? with the South. Okay. Okay. Uh, here's what's coming up. We're using Vegas lines to predict game script and stacking. So using Vegas to build your lineups. I've had so many questions. I've been going back and forth with TJ now, and it's something that I've, I've researched a lot, and I've tried to come to conclusions, and I keep going round and round. So hopefully you'll clear that up for me. And if you love what we're doing and you need some help with DFS, again, this is the first subscription that I had to anything concerning DFS right here on 444.com. Use the code DFSMVP. Get 25% off your subscription to the DFS content. TJ, it really is a remarkable, remarkable service that you guys have been giving out, and I'm glad to be with you again. This is is terrific for me. DFSMVP promo 25% off. That's a monster discount. Yeah, it's a big discount, and uh, it's it's on an upgraded uh, tool this year. I mean, we're we're upgrading our lineup generator. lineup generator we have a bunch of new writers a bunch of new uh features within the dfs content so it's going to be an exciting year man and it's uh i mean i don't just say this as uh employee i've been using this stuff since before i was working for four for four and and it's uh, how i build out my hopefully usually profitable dfs lineups yeah, it's a new show here too, and I'm here to make TJ look good. That's what it is. TJ is <laughs> the man. I mean, I'm 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 a subscriber to your stuff, and now I'm working with you. So let's get into this. Yeah. How accurate is Las Vegas when we're talking about the numbers they're putting out, the spreads, the totals, and everything they're putting out? And how do we use that information to make a better DFS lineup, TJ? Yeah, I mean, I think most people that listen to this or have any exposure to DFS have a a, a pretty good. Uh, idea that Vegas is a really good proxy of what we can expect over the long run. Uh, We know that the spreads, that the over-unders usually converge uh, to what Vegas is projecting, but there are some opportunities to uh, exploit those lines as well, especially if we're talking about what, what kind of game type are we playing? Are we playing cash or GPP? And something you mentioned to me yesterday and why you wanted to touch on this is only 67% of the time are the favorites actually winning the game straight up. So uh, a third of the time, underdogs are winning games. Obviously, there's some meat on the bone right there. But what 
I did is I went back and uh, including last year's data, went back five years uh, just to see if there are any specific points, whether it be within an implied total within a, uh, a specific point spread or even at the time of the year that Maybe there is a little bit of edge to be had or spots where Vegas isn't as accurate uh, as just looking at their overall numbers. All right, so let's get into this here um, because my big question for you was just going through this, when you look at a a total, when you look at an over-under, you hear a lot of analysts in the business say, well, the first thing I do is I look at Vegas and I look at the highest over-under. You know, if it's Mm -hmm. 50, I'm going there. If it's it's 49 somewhere, some, and I kind of feel like, that at this point, if you're just if you're following that, you're more getting lucky because you're really good at everything else as opposed to just following a Vegas total. Yeah, I mean, over unders are dangerous because they don't take into uh, they don't take the spread into account. And history has shown that, uh, like I said, there's we're kind of looking for meat on the bone or places to exploit the data. And over under is not that spot. Like Vegas is really accurate, no matter if we're looking at low over unders, uh, middle of the road, or high over unders. There's just not a lot of, of variance or fluctuation in how accurate they are. And then if you're using it as a proxy to see which teams are going to be the highest scoring, we need to take the spread and extract an implied point total. That's where the over-under is useful. We can see actually which team is expected to score uh, more points, not just which game is going to be high scoring. Because if uh, a lot of people, like you said, will look at the over-under and say, oh, 48-point over-under, that's going to be a shootout. Well, if one of the teams is favored by 10, that's not going to be a shootout. That's going to be a blowout. So we need to pay attention to that. Well, you updated some of the numbers on the chart that you know we're mm-hmm. looking at right now. And um, you've got half a point to two and a half point favorites right now yeah, those yeah. are going to cover most offer often but they have the lowest winning percentage tell me a little bit about some of the numbers you dug up in this yeah so basically what i wanted to do and we'll stick with the spread for now is is break these up i mentioned the 67 percent uh win percentage of favorites but where where is this really happening so i broke it up uh kind of by like these i guess you'll call them inflection points like where real football scoring happens 3.7 points and then up to 10 points uh so teams that were favored by uh, half a point to two and a half points over the last five years. Uh, they only won uh, 54% of the time. And they, w- if we look at their points against the spread, they actually underperformed against their uh, spread total by a point and a half. So what we see is uh, a high percentage of uh, teams that are underdogs here winning and also covering the spread. So that means probably scoring more points than expected. So what we can do there is when we find those quote unquote favorites, even though it's a small number, uh, those teams are very susceptible to upsets. And on the other side of that, those slight underdogs are probably going to be, uh, ignored, especially in large field GPP. So there is a, a little bit of an edge there because we're looking at ownership. Like we're, we want to expand our range of outcomes like we talked about last week in these large field GPPs. So I think it's worth noting that that small win percentage, even though they're favorites, um, they're, on, they're barely winning by more than a coin flip. All right. So when you're looking at a GPP and you mm-hmm. want your ceiling, you're not worried about your floor as much. Is there a certain is there a certain line that you're looking at where you can really maximize that opportunity? Uh, if we're talking about um, the point spread or, or or the implied point total, I mean, what we have found, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit more as we move on to uh, some of the stacking data we've looked at in Vegas, but uh, 
mostly we're, if we're looking at these winning GPP lineups, that minimum implied point total uh, for these big boom games is usually around the 24, 25 uh, point mark, depending on the stack, depending on the position. And then where once we get over a three point spread is where we see favorites really start to pull away in, in terms of uh, ceiling and, and these big games that we talk about on 4 for 4. Yeah, so the, the actual totals and the spreads really isn't predictive. But what is the one or two things you could say, just talking to somebody that is starting to play DFS right now, what is the, what are the two most predictive things that you're looking at? Uh, if we're just talking about the Vegas totals, I think that um, we want to be looking at, like I said, the implied point totals and the favorites. And the larger uh, those favorites are, uh, the mo- pr- more predictive it's going to be, especially in terms of win percentage. So if we're really looking for a spot to uh, to leverage these, I mean, if we're talking about cash games, if you could find those teams that are favored by seven or more, their win percentage is going to be through the roof. And why that's important for DFS is because we're trying to predict game script, especially for uh, these players like our running backs and our defense. We want our running backs to be on the winning team because that means they're going to be continuing to get usage throughout the game. Uh, and then once again, that implied point total, once we get around the the 24-point mark, uh, we see those teams hitting their totals going over uh, slightly more than the teams with the, with the lower point totals. Uh, again, if, if you're talking about uh, GPPs, you can flip that on its head and, and use those teams that uh, might not be expected to. But if we're looking at cash games, we want to be able to predict those high-scoring, uh, positive game script situations. Well, what's the cost-benefit then with predicting game script? Because that's, that is such a big part of of daily fantasy. I mean, when you're trying to figure out to, to get an edge, right? The Rams get six, uh, they're giving six away. You want to, you want to see the running game. Let's say Todd Gurley is a guy that you're focused on. I and mean, this is just obviously Todd Gurley, a big name and everything, but what's the big risk in, in game script and in, in trying to predict great game script? Because as we said, one out of three times, you're going to be wrong, right? Yeah, I think I think the big risk is comes in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to narrow your range of outcomes or are you trying to expand your range of outcomes? So um, when you're looking for these narrow range of outcomes, if you're trying to predict a game script where the spread is only uh, four or five points, you're really leaving yourself susceptible to uh, to uh, it going not like you expect and having your team uh, really fall on its face. So if you're taking, say, uh, I don't know, an Alex Collins on on uh, on the Ravens and they're only favored by four, who's maybe not going to be a huge pass catching back if if his team falls behind. Uh, there's a thirty to forty percent given the uh, historical numbers in Vegas that that four point favorite's going to win, and your cash game Alex Collins running back anchor uh, could possibly sink your team. So especially at running back, where we're really relying on that volume, and we're uh, really hoping that game script goes our way. If we can lean towards those bigger totals, six points and above, six and a half points and above, uh, you're probably probably going to be a little bit safer. And there are ways, and, and actually something that I, I really liked doing last year is, you know, digging into those lower total games. Mm, right? yeah. and, and the high game totals is fine. It, there, there really is nothing predictive out of that. But and there's not a lot of predictive out of the low game totals, with the exception that the ownership is probably going to be suppressed. So why not try and dig down there a little bit more? I guess in the junk pile of the games, right? 
If we're talking about the implied point totals? Yeah. Yeah, so there actually is a little bit of opportunity here that that you touched on. The the higher the implied point total, the higher the ownership percentage is going to be. But uh, what I've found is that once those projected point totals hit uh, 28 points and above, those teams have slightly underperformed versus their implied point total uh, just overall. And then if we look at how often they've actually hit their over on their implied total, it's just under 50 five percent of the time which is relatively low compared to uh some of the other buckets that we talked about and i i think probably what that has to do with is uh one those teams that have those huge point totals are often like the patriots and the packers of the world those really popular offenses so people are are jacking up those overs a little bit more but where that presents opportunity is since those teams projected for 28 or more are often slightly underperforming. It, it gives us not going to the bottom of the barrel, like, like you mentioned, but going to those teams in the 24 to 27 point range. Uh, those teams have actually slightly overperformed and, and their performance relative to uh, scoring over the implied point total is actually similar. So even if we have teams in that 24 to 27 point range, if they're going slightly over and those teams in the 28 point range are going slightly under, uh, we probably are going to converge on a spot where there's very similar uh, point totals, but the difference in ownership is going to be huge. So uh, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity in targeting those teams in the, the 24, 25 uh, implied point total, where I think a lot of people are, are nervous just to get off those, those Falcons or, or Packers or Patriots whenever they have those huge totals. All right, so let's talk about what you just explained and apply that to stacking on teams because that's what we're looking for here. We're looking at you know trying to find the edge and, and getting the uh, the highest rate of return on however many players you want in the stack. And as you have taught me, you know the two man stack obviously profitable. Three man you get a little risky. Four man rarely pays off. But you came out with the definitive guide to stacking on DraftKings and FanDuel this week. It's on the four for four DFS hub, and again, it, it's it's been updated. You wanna you wanna get a uh, a subscription, twenty five percent off by using the code DFS MVP. But how does Vegas impact stacking? All your answers right here in these couple of, of uh, articles. So let's start with this: the most successful stacks, right? Two man QB stacks scoring fifty plus. Let's get into some of your overall observations, TJ. Uh, yeah, before I, I I touch on exactly what we found here, uh, I mean, we went back and and did this study a couple of years ago, and I wanted to to update update the data. What and what I found is uh, a lot of these numbers change very marginally, uh, but I, I think it's still important to go back and and look to make sure that what we found is staying stable throughout. And you talked about the, the 50 plus point uh, two-man stacks. Those are kind of baselines that we're looking for based on teams that are winning or cashing in GPP. So we kind of set up a baseline for that 50 point uh, stack it and then see uh, what what can we extract from that data? What's important? What should we be looking for? And kind of like we touched on those uh, two man stacks. If we're looking for a um, a winning stack or a stack that can at least get us on the right track to winning, the averages on these team totals is twenty four to twenty five points. Uh, the spread is a minimum of one one of a half to three points, and these successful stacks are on favorites sixty five percent of the time. But uh, th- those are averages, so that's if you're if you're looking to uh, 
um, cash in a tournament or if you maybe have a stack in a cash game, like I mentioned last week, if you're playing a lot of head-to-heads, you might want to stick to those. But uh, it also reiterates what we talked about a little bit earlier is their successful stacks a decent percentage of the time that aren't the biggest favorites or don't have the the highest implied point totals. Again, these are just averages. They're just favorites 65% of the time. So we can go after these stacks if they don't fit this criteria. We only need to be hit on them about a third of the time. And that's going to give us a really big advantage over those users that are strictly sticking to these definitions. Yep. So quarterback wide receiver one, lowest spread of successful two-man stacks because it's the most effective stack. Then let's get to quarterback, running back one. Something I brought up in the the show that we did last week and something I don't think is is used quite as often, um, but when you're buying into quarterback, running back one, what you're buying into is the potential to have every single touchdown on that team. But what does that require from Vegas? Spread-wise, total-wise, and – whether or not you're gonna, whether or not you're prone to the Vegas number. Yeah, so I, I like I talked about, you don't have to stick to these uh, to these Vegas guidelines, but there are there are ways to pick and choose your spots and be successful with them. So the the quarterback wide receiver one stack, the reason that it has the uh, lowest spread and the lowest total of these successful two man combos is because. Uh, no matter what the situation is, a quarterback is going to be targeting his wide receiver one. His wide receiver one is going to be a, a big part of the game, whether they're uh, ahead or behind. Whereas if we go beyond those players, we're really looking for offenses that have blow-up potential. So for the, the wide receiver two to get involved, wide receiver three, uh, and then like you mentioned, the the running back along with his quarterback, we want at least to have potential for those offenses to be in blow-up spots. And and while we do see uh, underdogs win a, a large percentage of the time, if we if we go through the data that we talked about at the beginning and and look at the difference in, in expectation, uh, while they're winning, they're not really blowing up. None of these underdogs are are putting up these huge games as often as, as the other teams. So that quarterback right, uh, running back one stack is, of all the successful stacks, it requires the highest total and the largest spread. So you want to uh, stick to Vegas a little bit more if you're going to roll out a quarterback running back combo in a GPP, whereas you can fade Vegas a little bit more with your wide receiver one and quarterback combos. Uh, what about the three and four man quarterback stats? Uh, stacks, I should say. You know, what number are we talking about that they need to hit? Um, normally and then don't you want to stay away from three and four man stacks in a lot of situations where would you want to target that i think three man stacks are 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 often fine because it is a way to uh, differentiate your your rosters if you are going to play some of the most the more popular offenses a lot of people are, are going to be um, a little nervous about uh rostering too many people because they're worried about the uh, cannibalization effect of teammates. And also a three-man stack can very well be a player from an opposing team. Um, the four-man stack, probably you're, you're getting a, a little uh, a little rambunctious with your stacks if you're playing a, a main slate tournament. But I think team stacks can often be effective on these shorter slates where there are fewer options. And if, if an offense does go 
go nuts, then um, having four players from one game can be an effective strategy. But uh, what we noticed there, kind of similar to what I talked about with running back, these uh, implied point totals and the point spreads as well as the percentage of favorites are, are noticeably higher for these three and four man stacks than for the two man stacks. Uh, so we can benefit um, in terms of game script if we're if we're trying to go against Vegas. But like I said, these under the radar teams are really unlikely to go nuclear. So the teams with the the lower point totals, the teams that are underdog, just aren't putting up these 40, 50 point games very often. So if you are going to roll out a three and four man stack, I don't know that that is particularly the place to do it. It is to fade Vegas in those spots. Now, just getting away from Vegas real quick on this, there is a, mm-hmm. a strong correlation with opposing passing games. So let's say you got quarterback one, wide receiver yeah. one on one team, and then you're thrown in. Let, let's just say you're trying to squeeze in because of salary, you go wide receiver two on the other team. There's a pretty strong correlation there if you think that a game's going to go off, that you're going to use both sides of this, right? Yeah, so we we have uh, that data on on the site. We we at the top of each of these articles, it breaks down exactly what the highest correlations are between these positions. But uh, if if you're going with a uh, quarterback, wide receiver one um, on one team, wide receiver two on the other team, uh, you usually want that wide receiver one on the other team. Most people are going to be stacking uh, the the team that is going to be the favorite or. Uh, the team with the higher implied point total on the on the other end of it, uh, like I mentioned, with with the most effective stack is usually the quarterback and the wide receiver one. On the other side, if if that team uh, that's your that you expect to be the un- underdog does in fact be in the underdog, it's usually going to be the the wide receiver one that's going to benefit because they're going to be in catch up mode. So if you if you are playing a wide receiver two probably it's better to do it on the team you stack the quarterback with. And then on the other side, you want the wide receiver one. I mean, again, that's a, a generalized view. That's what happens most often, but um, it's very rare that that wide receiver two on the losing team is going to put up the numbers that you're looking for to take down a tournament. Can you use this data on a week to week basis? Yo, I got, I got muted after uh, the last thing I said. You got me. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, right. yeah, I couldn't hear you after the last thing I said. Um, it was right. for some reason I had you muted. But if we just go back That's to fine. where, um, so were did you hear something in my background or no? No, no, I didn't hear anything. Okay, so basically, what I was, I'll, I'll just pick it up from what I was saying there. Okay, cool. Uh, here's the pickup in three, two, and one. So TJ, there's so much information, and I'm I'm just right now looking at the definitive guide to stacking on Fanduel. You've got correlation matrices there's so many numbers that you can use and uh, so many ways to give yourself an edge when you're using vegas the lines the totals etc etc but is there a way to to you can't be using this every single week as as the backbone of building your team can you i mean it's just it's just got to be another tool that you use to try and build your team I mean, it, with anything that we're looking at, uh, we're, we're dealing in percentages and, and we're looking at, at the long term, especially in NFL. All of this is a piece of piece to the puzzle. I mean, of course, if if you are just sticking to uh, Vegas lines and only playing favorites, say you're you're probably going to miss some opportunities to 
to play some running backs that can win you some weeks uh, on your own. I, I keep going back to running back because it's it's often the position that's most impacted by Vegas lines and game script. But if you have, say, a Le'Veon Bell who's going to see 10 targets in a game and the Steelers are an underdog, you still want to be, if possible, you, you can still effectively use a Le'Veon Bell in that spot. So it's it's a proxy and it should generally guide what we're going to do, especially in cash games when we're trying to narrow, trying to narrow our range of outcomes. Um, but, but yeah, like you said, it's a piece to the puzzle. We're still looking for value plays. If you have a if you have a running back that's in line for 20 touches and he's $4,000, if he's on a slight underdog, I mean, you can't pass up on that value. So yeah, it is a piece to the puzzle, but it's also a way to not only stick to these guidelines, but to exploit what the industry is doing because we have a really good idea. Ownership usually follows the spread and the implied point total. So find those, those guys or those teams that, uh, aren't lined up with what Vegas would suggest, but do have a chance to pop. All right. So speaking of running backs, let's get into running back defensive stacks because there's, there's different data and actually it's, it's not too dissimilar on, on DK and FanDuel. What, what are some of your findings on the running back defensive special team stacks on the two sites? Yeah. So, uh, I, we went through similar to what we talked about with, with these most effective stacks or successful stacks, which we call them in the article. And on, on DraftKings, uh, 70% of the successful running back stacks had an opposing team total of um, under 24. So that's the opposition, not them. Be careful there. And nearly 60% of those successful running back defensive stacks on DraftKings were uh, favorites by at least three points. On FanDuel, those percentages were noticeably higher, 75% uh, for an opposing team total under 24 and 70% for uh, favorites of at least three points. And I think that is where we really need to be careful and think about what kind of game we're playing, what kind of lineups we're trying to build and what the scoring system is on these sites. So on DraftKings, if a game doesn't go as planned, I, I talked about Le'Veon Bell as an underdog, uh, running backs can still save a stack. They can still buoy that point total through receptions, through their usage on DraftKings because it is full PPR scoring. So that's exactly why we see a slightly lower percentage of successful stacks relative to what Vegas is telling us. Uh, whereas on FanDuel, we're reliant on touchdowns. We're reliant on late game usage. It's not full PPR scoring, so they can't make it up in negative game script. Uh, we want to stick to those uh, those Vegas totals a lot more on FanDuel. There just isn't as much, um, there's not as much lenience because of the PPR scoring. And the kicker defensive special team stack too. You're not going to run into this on on DK, but it's viable as well, isn't it? The the kicker defensive stack as well. Uh, we find very similar uh, ratios with these um, in terms of teams that are favorites, teams with the high implied point totals, opposition with the low impl- applied point total. Because what we have found is that kickers actually perform relative to uh, Vegas lines and totals very similar to these defenses, very similar to these running backs. And intuitively, it makes sense. If a team is losing in the fourth quarter, say they're down by 
four points. There's five minutes left in the game. They're inside the 30. They need a touchdown. A lot of times they're going to forego, forego that field goal where the team that's winning, they're going to kick that field goal all day. So those extra three points, sometimes an extra six points that you either will get or lose the opportunity for, that could be the difference between a winning and a losing week. So we need to be thinking about that with our kicker, which is often an overlooked spot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something in season-long leagues. I don't want to play in a league with a kicker, but it is, it is something <laughs> that you can really get an edge on. When it's in Fandle, because a lot of people just want to oh, to punt the kicker, they just want to punt the position. You know, you're not you're not looking as seriously. At least a lot of the casual players aren't looking as seriously at the kicker position. But it's it's somewhere you can really gain an edge in Fandle. Yeah, I mean, it's still a position that's scoring points, and if it's it's similar to ownership. If you are putting 10% of your time into a position that takes up 10% of your roster where everybody else is putting less than 1% of their time to it. That's an edge to be had. I mean, everybody knows who these popular running backs are. Oftentimes uh, people know even which cheap quarterbacks to start the volume wide receivers, but if there, there's a spot where people aren't paying attention to the scoring and, and to what's going to get you ahead, there's a lot of meat on the bone still. So even if it's just one position, I think you need to be taking advantage of that. All right, so this was a lot of information here. There's a lot of correlations. There's a lot of numbers, and uh, yeah. these are two of the best articles that you could be able to read, and this is something I've I've really gone back and, and I looked at. Last year helped me a lot, and now I'm in here listening to you giving me the advice <laughs> on top and all of us the advice. So uh, check out the DFS Hub on 444.com. And again, DFS MVP, 25% off for the new DFS subscription. There's just, it, it really is uh, looking for every little edge, TJ. And I think that, you know, Vegas, for, for those of you that have been playing a long time, you know how much that it can help you. But if you're just getting into DFS, maybe you've only been playing a year or two, this can really give you an edge when you use it properly. It could give you an edge. And uh, if you go through and, and look at these uh, stacking guides, they're called the definitive guide to stacking on FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, we go beyond just Vegas. We we look at the correlations between positions. Uh, we, we go beyond the correlation, look at how these positions actually fit into winning lineups and stacks. And something I, sh- I should have mentioned, actually, there is one more uh, point to be made about these Vegas totals. I, I briefly touched on it last week, but I finally ran the numbers this week. Uh, Vegas has had a little bit of trouble with favorites early in the season. So from weeks five through 16, no matter how you break it up uh, into three week, four week buckets, uh, teams that are favorites are uh, winning by slightly more than expected. And they're uh, scoring slightly more points than they're projected for. But in weeks one through four, favorites are scoring on average a full point lower than they're expected to against the spread and almost half point lower uh, compared to their implied point total. So if you're if you're going to fade Vegas, there's a really big opportunity to do it early in the season. Well, that's huge too. I mean, a full point lower than the spread and you're looking for every edge. That's pretty big. All right, TJ, next week I'm looking forward to it because we can finally get into the players. We got the the DK dropping their uh, their salaries today for week number one. That's always a little bit exciting. 
It's it's fun, man. It's uh it's a double edged sword because I've uh not done the work I was expecting to do today because I've been playing with salaries all day, but <laughs> came out literally literally hours before we were set to record this pod, so uh we didn't get to digest it quick enough, but we are going to be doing a a full salary release party, if you will, next week. Uh, Obviously, we're still going to do a full week one episode, but tomorrow, just kind of um, initial reactions. If a couple more games are released, we'll kind of touch on uh, what games we should be looking for, maybe what changes DraftKings has made in their salary structures, uh, in the structures of of these contests. So uh, we'll, we'll give an overview because now that salaries are out, uh, it's officially DFS season, man. Can I just say that I, I might be finding a little bit of value with Alex Collins? I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, I, I have a, a separate slack with some other DFS buddies, and I sent them like 10 lineups today and had, had Alex Collins in most of them. <laughs> hey, look, so that's good. A little reaffirmation here. It's nice to hear. Yeah, I, I love the Alex. And that's the second time we've dropped Alex Collins' name on the show, as a matter of fact. Uh, but I know. I think they call that uh, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, yes. There'll be a lot of Alex Collins next week then in our uh, DK uh, salary release. All right, buddy. It was great work with you again. Check us out four for four.com. Get the uh, DFS package. It's a 25% off DFS MVP is the code. DFS MVP is the code. TJ, send them out, man. Yeah. Uh, find me at uh, TJ Hernandez on Twitter. Uh, Holden at Holden radio. Check everything out on four for four.com. And we will talk to you guys next week. G-Wagon so fly Number one, don't tangle and twist it When they come to these cars, I am that go a, a, a Gucci with the matching interior Three-wheel ride with the tie in the middle It's fresh and stunner And we like brothers We shine like paint, daddy It's our summer